You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. So why, why did we need this? Okay, so the list, I, I think I flashed the list real quick that we know it is, you know, number one, I just say it, and we'll start with, in a sense, one of the toughest ones is racism is a sin. You know, we, I think in one sense, it's been pretty obvious in the church forever that, you know, since I came in, that racism is a sin. Uh, and I don't think anybody would argue against that or argue for racism. Although in history, churches were some of the most racist groups. Um, and as a matter of fact, you know, even to this day, uh, probably the most segregated parts of America are oftentimes churches. You walk into churches and everybody's the same color or everybody's speaking the same language or everybody's speaking or the same culture, same ethnicity. And I don't think anybody's doing that because of racism, but it is ends up being how we divide up, unfortunately, because that prevents us from learning from each other and building bridges and getting to know each other. And as I say many times, uh, awareness is the beginning of change. You know, understanding is necessary for change to happen. And if we're all separated and we're not talking to each other, it's not going to happen. Uh, but we have to come together. It's one of the things that honestly drew me to our church here was, uh, was the racial mixing. And, you know, I didn't, the first thing I went to was a Bible talk and we were very mixed. It was an African American, a couple of African Americans, a couple of Asians, uh, myself, Hispanic and, a, and, you know, and four or five Caucasians. Now, when I went to the church, um, that wasn't quite so mixed, although, uh, they were very smart. I, you know, I walked in, it was probably 95% Caucasian at that point, the church that I went to. And there was a handful of Hispanics, all of which I met within the first five minutes. Um, of course, everybody wanted me to feel welcome and comfortable. And the truth be told, I appreciated that. I, pre- I appreciated their sensitivity that they wanted me not to feel left out and, and, uh, one of the early criticisms of our movement, uh, beginning in the Crossroads days was, I, and I read this because I've done the research, is the Crossroads Church was criticized for race mixing. And one particular event where they had an African American lead the communion, that was criticized because it was believed that it was wrong in some churches. They believed, some church leaders believed that it was wrong for an African American to lead a communion service when there were Caucasians in the church. And that might sound absolutely ridiculous today, but back in the early 70s was not so ridiculous and considering it was the South furthermore. So, so, but I think we all would agree now that racism is a sin. Um, you know, prejudice, discrimination, antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. That's a standard definition of racism. There are many more uh, that can go into more detail. But, uh, you know, I call this series Pride and Prejudice. Um, obviously, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek on the classic novel. Not that I have anything against the novel. Great chick flick, one of my wife's favorites. But just the title, because um, racism is the combination of pride and prejudice. It's it's where prejudice and pride mix. And you, you not only notice the differences, you not only bring all the subconscious and unconscious fears, but on top of that, you add the pride to think that you're superior. You know, that someone is superior to that group. 
my group is superior to that group. And, um, that is, that's racism. That's, and, and particularly when it's based on race, right? There, it comes other ways too. It can be gender pre- prejudice. It can be, uh, ethnic prejudice. It can be language prejudice. And there are groups, they, they're, eth- they're genetically the same. They're white, white, but because they have a different religious background or a different ethnicity or a different language, they'll, they'll look down on each other. You know, I think I've, I've shared before the, the, my friends who one was Italian, one was Irish and, they had to leave Boston and move to California so they could get married because their families opposed it so intensely. And I was sitting there as a Mexican kid going, what is the problem? You're both white. Why would you, why would you have a problem? But that's the way racism, that's the way prejudice works. It's I'm superior for whatever reason. I've seen this abundantly all over the world and even in Latin America. I was never so aware of the color, the color of my skin. And as until I moved to Mexico City and I had a roommate who came from a very wealthy background and he kind of clued me into the way things were there. And he he told me basically he wouldn't even talk to me in public before he was a Christian, obviously, um, basically because he was white, very Spanish descent. He I look very Indian. So clearly I must be a servant or I must be uneducated or I must be low class. And honestly, the, you know, the thing that kind of gave me a bump up there was I was American. And as soon as I started speaking Spanish, it would become obvious because of my American accent when I speak Spanish and everybody would treat me better because I was American. But had I spoke like a native being darker skinned, I wouldn't have received the same treatment. And the lighter skinned you are in Mexico, the more socially up the ladder you probably are and they're treated much better. So, so that pride of I'm better. I went to Miami. I moved to Miami and, and, and I remember thinking, wow, this is going to be an entire, a city entirely run by Latins. What, how fun is this going to be? And everybody's Latin here, you know, and I'm surrounded by Latins and, and, uh, and I got there and I was really shocked to, to run into such a hierarchy of this group looking down on this group, looking down on this group, you know, the, 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 you know, Cubans looking down on Puerto Ricans, looking down on Dominicans, looking down on Haitians, looking down on who else, you know, I mean, there's always, there's always a ladder. We just do this. This is, this is so much our sinful nature. We just think we're better, you know, and, and, you know, the Argentinian uh, community that doesn't even really consider themselves Latins. They're Europeans because they're mostly German, Italian, and Spanish heritage, or the, or the Colombians who think they're, you know, their Spanish is better than everybody else's, or, you know, there's always, there's just, it's all stupid stuff, but it's there. I, I mean, it was so obvious to me in Miami. And so, you know, our problem here in the United States isn't an American problem for sure. It is a global human nature sin problem and it's wrong and it's bad. And it, and it separates people the exact opposite of what God is doing. God is always trying to pull us together and make us into one. And Satan is always trying to divide us up and make us separate and look down and judge one another. Jeremiah 22, 3 says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. 
And the one I point out is the resident alien because um, that's that's a foreigner basically, and 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 that's usually where racism and prejudice really focus on. It's it's the one who's the most different in the room, you know. If it's nine white people, one black person, it's the black person that's going to feel it the most. If it's ten white people and they're all Anglo-Saxon Protestant and there's one Catholic. Guess who's going to feel it the most? The Catholic, you know. If it's, you know, not 10 people and nine speak English and one speaks Italian, who's going to feel it? The Italian. And and that's just, that's our sinful nature, is we pick on whoever the la- the, the latest alien is, the la- latest uh, uh, um, xenos, or in Greek, the, the, the stranger. I talked about last week, xenophobia, right? The, the fear of strangers, the fear of aliens. And I don't mean aliens from outer space. I mean aliens not of my little world, not of my country, not of my neighborhood. And, um, and, and I mean, the amazing thing is we always find something, right? We always find something. But, but, but notice what he says, do no wrong or violence. To the resident alien. I mean, as, as, as much as God was on the one hand trying to create a pure nation out of the Jews to be an example. And yet, you know, and telling them they're the promised people and they're the holy nation. But he's also telling them basically don't look down and don't be racist with other groups. You know, don't be prejudiced against the, the foreigners that are in your land. Take care of them. Treat them like a native um and he was concerned about them that that you can be very proud of who you are without condemning and judging somebody who's different and those two in our world in the regular world and the non-christian outside of the kingdom of god those two go together all the time i'm proud of my whatever my heritage and i look down on everyone else they don't have to you can be very proud of who you are but also very proud of who that person is and what that person is in this person's background. And we can rejoice in our differences. Um, Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, you got to understand how radical this is, especially when we're talking about 2,000 years ago. I mean, so much of of equality and the value of diversity is something we as a, as a, as a society, as a people are discovering in the last 50 years. So, you know, since the civil rights movement, this was said 2000 years ago that from God's perspective, we're all the same. There's not, there's not even male and female. I mean, right now we're talking about gender equality. I mean, the last World Cup, Women's World Cup was won by the U.S. women's team and the crowd was chanting equal pay. Why? Because they're paid a fraction of what the men are paid. Why? They're Because they're women, basically. You know, not because they're any less. In fact, how many times have the men been to the World Cup? Zip! How many times have the women been to the World Cup? Multiple times. And yet they're paid far less than the men. And people say, well, that's because they don't have the viewership and the sponsorship. That's garbage. More people watch their games than watch the men's games. And, and, and so even those excuses aren't valid. There's a very real prejudice there. Not so with God. We are all one. James 2, 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. 
you know, and the context was rich and poor people. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, this is, this is a positive command in the sense of favoritism versus discrimination. But, you know, he warns us not to do that either, either, because it's so easy if you see somebody wealthy come into church and we do it. We do it. We see somebody coming in wearing a nice suit, all dressed up. You think, Ooh, they've got money. They're powerful people. What do we do? We want to take care of those people. We see somebody coming in poorly dressed and, you know, maybe nice, not nicely kept and they sit in the back of the room. We don't go up and, and, try to get him a better seat necessarily. And and that's that's just it's in culture, it's in our thinking, it's in the way we live. So uh the Bible warns us don't do that. God doesn't do that. God didn't do that to us. So let's not do that to other people. Don't show favoritism. Love everybody. Care about everybody. And so, you know, I don't think I need to say a whole lot more of in terms of we know it's a sin. We know it's wrong. We need to watch out for how it might show up in our hearts, in our minds. And, and, you know, some, sometimes it's so subtle. And we'll talk about in a little bit later. We'll talk about subconscious and unconscious bias. And, and that's a very real thing. And everybody has it. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what background you are. Everybody has it. So in order to deal with it, we just need to be aware of it. And it's not saying I don't have it or I'm colorblind or I don't care about race. That's a bunch of garbage. It's, it's in there. Now you may be better than most. You may be, you may be super nice and love everybody, but we, we all have it. It just, it's part of the pre, it's part of the, 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 the culture we grow up in. It's so much part of our world. We drink it. We breathe it. There's no way that we're completely free of it. We all, the, the answer is not pretending we don't have it. The answer is dealing with what, with it, dealing with it, getting rid of it, identifying it so that we can not show favoritism and treat everybody with love and respect and be the way God is, right? And, and, and identify the, even those subtle ones, which we'll get to in a minute, but racism clearly absolutely wrong. Um, I don't think as a church, we ever purposely are racist. I think sometimes, again, the subconscious and unconscious bias might leak out and affect people in a racist way. And, and there are still people out there teaching this. I just saw the other day, uh, uh, it was a, it was a study on genetics and learning and education. And the geneticist said, I couldn't believe it. She's, she, she was sitting there and she said that, that some races are just genetically slower than other races. They don't learn as well. And that's been proven through, and she cited these studies of college kids. And what I, what, what I saw, one, I couldn't believe that she blamed their ability to learn something and to pass an exam on genetics when we already know that nutrition has a major factor. That poverty has a major factor. That culture has a major factor. That family culture, that family lifestyle, all these things affect our ability and how we learn. And somebody who has those strikes against them is in no way going to learn at the speed or, or the ability that a kid who's got all those in their favor. I don't care what race they are. I don't care what background they are. But she was clearly an example of somebody who knows one narrow field 
and defines everything through that lens, not taking into account nutrition, sociology, culture, all these other things. And that's, that's how, that's why you get, you get somebody like that. And that's why racist groups can justify their existence. They can point, see, there it is. Here's scientific fact that my race is better than other races. And it's a bunch of garbage. It's, it's based on ignorance and bad science. So it's out there. So enough about that. Number two, it hurts the family. It hurts the family. Everything from self-esteem. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to go 30 minutes. I, I, I've had several people ask me to please go a little bit longer. Um, because I'm cutting it too short. So we'll, we'll, we'll do full 30 minutes here on each of these. Um, number two, it hurts the family. Uh, self-esteem, self-worth, confidence. It robs opportunities. Uh, it closes doors on people. It, 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 it's, it creates learned helplessness. Um, which we'll talk about that because that's a very important factor. Uh, anger, hatred, bitterness can really corrupt our hearts and our minds and make it difficult. Uh, socially, education, economically, all these things can be affected uh, by racism, by prejudice. Even ignorance can have a huge difference. You know, what does it matter? In the 1950s, segregation meant people of color had to go to different places, use different things, and give up their seats to people, uh, Caucasians. What does that do to you? and how you think about things, and how you think about yourself. How does that make you feel? What is the message that is reinforced again and again on a daily level about your worth, about your value, about your abilities, about your, and, you know, your, your capabilities? Um, what does it matter? Well, people of color are more likely to be arrested than Caucasians. What does that do to your relationship with police or your respect of law or authority or, or, uh, how you view our country? You know, what does it do when you hear the history of our country and everybody's talking about coming across some boats with the pilgrims and you know that you weren't on that boat and the boat you came on, your people were, were chained to the bottom of it or that you, you, this was your country and then a border got put and you were told you don't belong here anymore and your land was taken away. Or you're a person that's been here for, for 20,000 years, your family's been here and all of a sudden you're a foreigner in your own land, you know, and all those stories are also true. Those are all narratives that are true, but the one narrative that's being told, that's being celebrated, that we color pictures and put on our windows and, and talk about is, the very small group that came across in a boat and, and became the dominant culture. So these things they play, they have a, they have an effect on your mind uh, of who you are. Does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, people of color are more likely to have no job. Okay. Now, and I know that the pressing question might be why? Well, why? You know, is it my fault? No, not necessarily, but there's a system in place that really does affect how things happen. And, and, and this is probably the, this is probably where it gets really touchy, to be honest, is, is I think that sometimes we who are in the majority or not in the minority that's suffering can say, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do that. But this is where we have to understand the importance of being family, of that we together dismantle that system. 
so that it doesn't continue hurting people. So it doesn't continue hurting those we love and care about. You know, the, in, in the world, non-Christian world, we care about our families pretty much it, and a few close friends. Now, if we see somebody suffering who looks like our family, we're going to feel a lot because of that. If we see somebody suffering who doesn't look anything like us, we're going to feel a lot less because of that. And it's not as identifiable. It's not as relatable. And therefore, there's less empathy. There, there tends to be less empathy or less compassion even. You know, if we're a big-hearted person, we'll feel compassion, even though they could be totally different. I think the more spiritual we are, the more we actually feel empathy. We It outrages us, too, which is hopefully what's happening in our world. And, I, you know, is, is there is a shift in our world where there is as many non-black marchers with carrying Black Lives Matter now. Well, I don't know if it's many, but there are many. Whereas before there were less and less and less and less. And, and that empathy is expanding. But that is, that is something that God gives us is it does bother me when I see other people. And I know that's, that's something I totally got from the Lord because I wasn't like that before I was a Christian. I cared about me, my family, and maybe a little bit about my people. But as a Christian, my people, the definition of my people is very different now. My people is white and black and yellow and green and red and purple. And, and we were all, we're, we're everybody in the church as, because why? Because what Jesus said is true. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother, mother, sister. That's how Jesus saw it. And that's become more and more true to me. And, and not just on an intellectual level, but an emotional level where, you know, George Floyd doesn't have to look like my uncle. He is my family. He looks like several of my very close friends that I care about deeply. And that's what pains me. But that's where we grow in our learning and understanding. And we have to understand how, how the world teaches us differently. There's a very famous study done by Dr. Kenneth B. Clark. And um, his work actually led towards the Brown, in, in the case of Brown versus Board of Education, that overturned segregation, where he did these studies where children were given these two dolls, one black, one white. They're, they looked exactly the same, except they had different color skin. And a series of questions were asked of these, with these dolls, uh, which is nicer, which has a nicer color? Which one do you want to play with? Which looks better? And, and, and as you can imagine, why I'm using this as an example is again and again and again, the kids would choose the white doll. Now here's the worst part about it. It wasn't just the white kids that would choose the white doll. It was also the brown kids and the black kids. They also chose the white doll. What does that tell you? What he showed was how quickly even children learn their value in society. And they consider themselves less valuable. You know, when, when you see that, I remember as a little kid, my Crayola box, and picking out the, 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 I was looking for beige, and it said flesh. And I remember thinking, that doesn't look like my flesh. 
doesn't look like my skin and and wondering about that but society sets itself up and this is good this is bad and and other tests have been done very similar where things were asked you know which is dangerous and the black doll would be chosen which would do you feel safer with and the white doll would be chosen not just by white kids by black kids by brown kids as well that is terrible that you grow to for for anybody to grow up with an inherent belief that they are inferior or that they're evil that they're bad and multiple different studies have been done since then this was a classic study done in the early 40s and it's been repeated in multiple decades in this century um there was a big cnn study done 2010 i uh, read the one the the results is the results indicated white bias meaning that children mostly white but also black children as a whole have some bias continue to associate positive at- attributes with lighter skin tones and negative attributes with darker skin tones you know even in mexican families they'll say oh the poor kid is so dark you know, oh, she's beautiful, she's light-skinned, or she's got blue eyes, she's got green eyes, and that's just considered beautiful. And the darker you are, it's considered worse and and, and problematic. And that, that system, systemic prejudice to grow up in is devastating to self-esteem. And then we wonder, well, why is there so much anger? Why is there so much bitter when you're running into this and running into this and running into this? It is hugely problematic. Um, the assumptions that are made from it. Well, you must be slower or retarded. I mean, I, you know, again, as I've said many times, I, I'm not here to speak on the African-American experience. I don't have that experience. And in many ways, the African-American experience has been far worse in the United States than any other group. The only ones that probably have the similar, not similar, but equally bad is the Native American experience. Um, but Hispanic experience is, it has very, a lot of common traits, not, not as severe, but there are some. And I have my experience. That's, that's what mine is as a, as a Hispanic. But as, as a little kid, one of my earliest memories of school was getting hit with a ruler for speaking Spanish. We were not allowed to speak Spanish. The problem is I didn't speak English. And so we, when we would take the tests and stuff, of course, we did terrible because we didn't understand the questions and we didn't understand what was being asked and we guess. And I remember the kids, the, all the Mexican kids, we had to sit in the back of the room and we were put in a special ed class. And I remember the word retarded. I remember somebody saying, I think the, these children are, are basically retarded. That's what was said. I know it's a politically bad word now, but it's what was used back then. And I remember thinking, what is it, what, why would they think I'm retarded? And I, and I didn't understand that. Um, there's assumptions. It must be less educated. They must be incapable. They must be just dumb because he grows up, he grew up here and he didn't know that or, or he must be poor, you know, because most of his people are poor. He must be ignorant. He must be less good than our kids. He must be less teachable because he went through school, so he should have learned all this stuff. He must be weak because his people keep falling into these problems, and so many of his people use drugs and crime, or 
He must be dangerous because so many of his people are in crime. Or he must be a criminal or he's prone to this. You know, and, 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 and then subtly that becomes, he just must be bad or he must be evil. And, and honestly, I wrestled with this in school. In one sense, I'm, unfortunately, I, I'm a model of a lot of the stereotypes of young Hispanic men. I got into drugs. I carried a gun in high school. I was, I got into fights and stuff. And unfortunately, I felt trapped that the world was saying I'm evil and I'm bad. And there's no way out of it. It really wasn't until I became a Christian. And I, when I say, you know, I say it a lot that Jesus set me free. He really did of all this garbage that was in my head. And so somebody who didn't grow up with any of this is like, what the heck, dude? You need a, you need a psychiatrist. And yeah, maybe so, but I, this, this wasn't something I did to myself. These are things that happened, and I've been healed. I totally believe been healed by Jesus. I love you know, and and I've been set free, and you know, and and God gave me a lot of other gifts too. It wasn't certainly my life. I think my life was pretty awesome, but but I did have to deal with all this stuff. I had an Irish stepdad who who I mean, we would sit at dinner and talk about the Roman Empire. You know, I had experiences that other kids in the barrio and other kids in my neighborhood. They weren't sitting around talking with their dads about the Roman Empire. They're talking about work and how to make some money to put food on the table. And my dad was very creative. And of course, my family, very traditional Mexican. So I had things that gave me a leg up that other kids didn't have. And even, even some of the things my dad that now I realize that happen every day in Caucasian families that, you know, you go tell that teacher or you that, that, that they would challenge the system. Whereas in most Mexican families, you don't rock the boat and you don't cause problems in the system because you could get deported or you could get put in jail or you could be falsely accused and nobody's going to believe you. And so you just keep your mouth shut, your head down and work hard. And that's the mindset in a lot of families. And, you know, and, and so all of this has an effect on people. There's, there's experiences I had that, that just really taught me that I need to lay low and I need to be quiet. And honestly, it's the kingdom of God. It's being with God. It's Jesus. It's the church that helped me to blossom in a lot of ways, to get confident and to love everybody. And, and I'm so convinced that Jesus is the right way that I gladly give my life to promoting Jesus, to promoting his way, that everybody needs to become a Christian, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But it's important to understand all the stuff that happens in the background. It's important to, 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 to know this might be happening to my neighbor. This might be happening to this guy I just met. And this is, might be where he's coming from. And just that understanding just that understanding. I never wanted anybody to apologize to me or beg me forgiveness or anything. But if they could understand me, why did I carry a gun? Because I had people trying to kill me. Why was I so prone to fighting? Because I got beat up a lot. Why did I do these things? And, and that helps. There was somebody who did understand me and he took an interest in me. You know, I never filled out one single college application. And yet I got a full packet and a full ride to go to the University of San Diego. How did that happen? 
somebody believed in me. Somebody loved me. And I still to this day don't know who it was that filled out all the forms. I suspect I know who. I think it was one particular teacher in high school who always was talking to me about going to college. I'm pretty sure it was him. But he believed. He loved. And he reached out. And that's the power of love, even in the face of prejudice and racism and all this garbage. Just believing in somebody, caring enough to listen to their story, can help them break out of it and be set free and have the life that God wants them to have. So we'll stop there and we'll continue at the next class. Thank you so much for listening and for your attention. God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 